Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. And welcome to TBRCon 21. Thank you to David Walters, aka Fanfiatic, for hosting it and for having me on. Um, and hopefully we can help us get through some of the lockdown. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, which is probably quite a lot of you, uh, my name is Daniel Kelly. I'm the author of The Fall of the Phoenix, which is based uh, primarily on the last days of the fall of Troy and A Hero's Welcome, which is the direct aftermath of the fall of Troy and the consequences and what happened to a lot of the characters who survived Troy. Um, this evening I'm going to be doing a reading from A Hero's Welcome. Uh, I'll be doing chapter 25, if I can get this right. The clipping of Arimnus' walking stick was starting to annoy even himself as he crossed Sparta. The streets of Sparta were as bad as Messina, and although the hillside wasn't as steep as the Acropolis, it was a much longer slope, so that everywhere you went seemed to be an up-cursed hill. Accommodation for his guard was proving difficult to get. The first two taverns he had visited had been full, and the one he had just tried couldn't take all fifteen men. He wanted to keep them all together in the vain hope that they might be able to control some of the drinking tonight. After arriving only this morning, he had secured a possible contract to guard a merchant on the return journey the following day, so hangovers wouldn't do them any favours. The last time Arimnus had been in Sparta, he had been a much younger man, travelling in honour guard with Agamemnon himself to meet his future wife Clytemnestra. The crossing in the town did not seem such a monumental task, he could remember standing almost where he was now, in the baking heat with a wineskin in one hand, admiring the view over the valley, far below, and the orderly rows of vineyards stretching almost to the horizon. Cursed vineyards, he grumbled now. Bloody valley and cursed scorching sun. His wide-brimmed hat didn't prevent his brain from baking and his eyes from burning from the constant glare, and he stopped again to rub his eyes to ward off the headache he could feel coming on. Moving his hand to his bleary eyes, he could have sworn he was looking straight at Agamemnon just across the street. Don't be stupid, old man, he grumbled to himself. He's still far off in the east. Besides, he'd be an old man by now too. The mirage was obviously the modelling image conjured up by an old man reminiscing of his younger self. Yet when he removed his hand for the second time, with his eyes clear, he could still see the unmistakable image of young Agamemnon turning the corner just ahead. Arimnus had to get a closer look, if only to confirm he wasn't going mad, and shuffled after the young man. By the corner he was sweating and nearly exhausted from trying to catch up, but his luck was in. The young man had stopped halfway up the street at a wine shop. A group of hangers-on were flocking around him, all trying to be heard at once, as they ordered drinks and told jokes. Arimnus was reminded again how old and beaten he was, as he was forced to lean against the corner for balance after the rush to get there, despite the assistance of his walking stick. Almost lying against the blessedly cool stone, shaded stone, to recover his breath, he received dirty looks from passers-by. Everyone knew what the Spartans thought of cripples. It was only by chance, because he had to catch his breath, that he realised that he was not the only one watching the young Agamemnon. Then it struck him. 
He hadn't seen the boy for six years, since Clytemnestra had turned him out of the palace, and he had grown so much in the time of Orestes, he whispered, almost reverentially. He stood there watching the boy enjoying himself, watching those watching him. Bodyguards? There were three men, keeping a respectful distance from him, respectful or watchful. One turned his head slightly, and the scar from Icarion's mouth to his jaw was instantly recognisable. Aramnus had been there when he had received the spear thrust, when Agamemnon had retaken Mycenae. It was Aegis's man. They were assassins. Aramnus looked back at Orestes. The boys had obviously been drinking, as boys away from home are wont to do. But they did not look too bad, and there were enough of them to prevent the assassins from striking yet unless they were suicidal. Arnus turned, looking around. He had to find help. Marcus or Philip, someone to help. They were delivering supplies to the barracks near the Agog, so Arnus set off in that direction as fast as his crippled leg would allow him, hobbling on the uneven flagstones. His cane slipped on the stone, jarring the point, and almost sending him flying onto his face. Rushing wasn't going to help, and he slowed his pace slightly. It was more important to get there safely than to fall and break his neck in the rush, but he knew well that time was of the essence. Gritting his teeth, he kept going as fast as he safely could, limping quickly, feeling the eyes of the passing Spartans glancing at him and quickly looking away. He didn't care anymore. He had bigger things to worry about. Left foot forward, came forward, and he dragged his right limp right leg behind him. He stopped, hand outstretched against the wall, Fat beads of sweat rolling down his face and falling from his nose to splash on the flagstones. Breath burning from his throat while he tried to remember the way to the agog. It wasn't at the top of the hill, for which he offered thanks. But that had been twenty years and more since he had roamed these streets with Agamemnon and they all looked the same to him now. A young boy was walking down the street. A good sign since they were almost always near the agog for school or play or to watch the older boys train. He must be nearing it. He grabbed the boy's arm as he passed and wheezed, Which way to the agog? In a dry rasp, the boy struggled in his grasp. Revulsion to a cripple evident even in the, his young eyes. But it was his leg that was crippled and he held the boy fast, repeating the question, Which way to the agog? The boy pointed down the street to the left and Aramis left him go. Let him go. The boy nearly tripped over himself and struggled to get away. Aramnus heaved a deep breath, pushed himself away from the wall, cane clipping down the way the boy had indicated. At least this street was sheltered a little from the sun, but the effort of walking fast down its length was about as much as he could manage. The street opened out onto a huge square with the agog at the opposite side. There was just a huge um, training ground before it, but even that seemed barely feasible. He pushed on, crossing the street, only to hear his name called from a building he was passing. Turning, he saw Marcus sitting in the tavern with a cup in hand, four of his men with him. Armness, Marcus called out, getting up from his seat. How are we doing for accommodation? Realising that Armness could barely stand himself, he dropped his cup to crash on the stone floor and rushed to catch him before he fell. Marcus' strong arms held him by his hemation, which was stuck to his skin and drenched through with spit sweat, his face pale from the exertions. What's wrong? asked Marcus. What has happened? Aramis tried to speak, but his tongue was thick and dry in his mouth. 
the only part of him that was even remotely dry. He closed it and tried to work some moisture into his mouth to get his tongue working again. On his next attempt, the words rasped and scraped up his burning throat. Arrestus! In the city! The confusion on Marcus's face didn't lessen. Arrestus? What has he to do with Aramis didn't let him finish and wheezed out the next words. Assassins! Marcus's eyes widened as he grasped what Aramis was trying to say. You're sure? It wasn't really a question. He trusted Aramis implicitly. They had served together for many years. The older man nodded his weary head, eyes almost glazing over. Where? Aramis realized with dismay that he that in his rush he hadn't noted the street name. He pointed down the street he had come from, then to the right at the bottom. The others had realized something was wrong and were getting up. Philip shouted Marcus, then realized that the man was standing only a foot behind him. Take him a moment. Philip slipped into the role of holding the almost dead weight of Aramis. Marcus turned to the other man. Callades, here, was the reply. Leave your horse. Aramis is going to need it. Run and find the others and tell them to follow us as quickly as possible. Arrestus is in trouble. He didn't wait for a reply. Callades was sprinting up the side of the road, looking for the rest of their party. Their horses were tied up outside the tavern they had been drinking on, waiting for to find quarters for the night where they will be stabled. Can you ride? Marcus asked Arminus. Do I have a choice? replied Arminus with an exhausted wry grin. Philip gave him water from his own skin, hanging from his shoulder so he could at least talk more easily. Can't be any worse than trying to run. Marcus was looking at his lame leg with concern. Fine, he said, accepting the inevitable. Philip, ride on his left. I'll be on his right. Don't let him fall off the bloody horse. Philip was mounted in second, and Marcus bodily lifted Aramis into the other horse, and Philip moved into the position on his left. Moments later, Marcus was up, and they were starting to move down the street. They were only managing a light trot for the safety of Aramis, but it was still a lot faster than Aramis had managed in the other direction. Even at the more sedate pace, Marcus kept up an almost constant barrage of shouting at pedestrians who were not moving out of the way fast enough. Ten minutes later, Aramis called them to a halt at the corner where he'd first spotted Arrestus. <coughs> Marcus dismounted at the corner, helping Aramis from the saddle. Horses were not unusual on the street, but the sound of their hooves would draw attention. Throwing the reins to Philip, they stood at the corner and peered around. Aramneth breathed in a great sigh of relief to see Arrestus still there, though the group with him was now smaller. Marcus recognized him immediately. Where are the assassins? Marcus asked Marcus. A few doors away on the right, said Aramneth. You remember Icarian, Aegis's man? Marcus nodded, placing them with his eyes. What do we do now? asked Aramneth. We find somewhere to watch and wait. Wait? exclaimed Arnus a little too loudly, and Marcus squeezed his arm to let him know. Wait what for? he demanded. More quietly. To see a knife in Arrestus? Do you want to watch him die? Marcus's voice grew hard, and his entire stance stiffened as he dragged Arnus back and pinned him to the wall. You're questioning my loyalty, Arnus? Is this how well you know me after all this time? Arnus sagged a little and shook his head. We wait because we've been away from Messina much too long to know what is happening here. For all you know, Icarian could be a bodyguard. 
You don't really believe that Marcus is harmless? No, I don't. But I also don't know. And killing Arrest's bodyguard isn't going to do us any favors. Marcus let go of our and peered around the corner again, trying to decide where they could wait. He barely noticed Arnus at his elbow, also peering. Where's the other one gone? What other one? asked Marcus. There were three, a carrion and two others I don't know, said Arnus. Shit, Marcus scanned the street. Then everything seemed to happen at once. One of the young Spartans on the other side of Arrestus's groom screamed. A blood-curdling yell and all eyes swung to him. The blood was already foaming from his mouth and the laughter around Arrestus died away. They stared in horrified silence as the boy, already dying, tottered on his feet for the last few seconds of life. He wore the shocked, wide-eyed stare of someone who knows they are already dead but can't figure out how or why. Marcus pulled his eyes away as he realized that they were, that he too had been staring in shock, only to realize that Akari and the other man were no longer sitting where they had been. They were moving towards Arrestus under the distraction of the dying friend. While everyone was looking the other way, Philip, quickly, Marcus shouted as he broke into a run. The spell broke on the other group as around Arrestus just before the dying boy fell. He was pushed forward off the knife into the group of friends. The man behind them with the bloody knife moved forward towards them and they struggled to get the dead boy off themselves as he advanced, some drawing knives themselves. Among the confusion of a group of half-drunk boys, the veteran's murder skills showed. The first to get out a knife received a knife across the throat for his trouble while Akari and his friends moved unseen into the back of the group, knives opening throats and guts as chaos reigned all round. Other people on the street saw what was happening, but nobody moved in the confusion, and half a dozen were down in heartbeats as the screams rent the air. <coughs> Marcus's feet were pounding in stone as he ran as fast as he could, still thirty strides away, and knowing he wouldn't get there in time to prevent the assassination, two horses passed him at a gallop, Without slowing, Philip and Cryus launched themselves from horseback through the air to carry in his companion, knives outstretched. Cryus's aim was true and took a carry in the upper back, the man landing hard with Cryus on top of him. Philip was less lucky. He managed to kill him below, though a lower one, to a carry in his companion's lower back, the knife tearing him open in a ragged line as Philip's own weight pulled him down. There was an audible crack as his legs hit the cobbled stone, followed immediately by the scream of pain from the brake. With those two down, the third man was easily overpowered by sheer weight of numbers. Marcus arrived just in time to watch him die, as one boy gripped his arm, holding the knife at bay above his head with all his strength, while Arrestus' companion, Pilates, plunged his knife repeatedly into the man in a frenzied attack. The boys were looking around in fear and confusion, trying to decide who the enemy, who was an enemy and who was a friend. Some of the surviving Spartans were getting ready to advance on Marcus, so he held his hands up empty. We came to help, he panted, out of breath from the sprint, and pointed to Cryas and Philip where they lay on the ground. See, they killed two of your attackers. They still looked unsure until he addressed Orestus directly. Orestus, it's me, Marcus, he said, almost bleeding. Aramnus is with me. It was him who spotted these men watching you. He recognized that one. He pointed at Carrion. He could see Arrestus thinking, 
The boy had been only nine when they'd been sent away. There was recognition there, but he was nervous after what had just happened and unsure who to trust. Then Arrestus's eyes lit up as he looked past Marcus. Aramnus, I remember you. Marcus turned to see Aramnus hobbling down the street, the reins of the two remaining horses held with his staff. Arrestus pushed past his surviving friends, heading towards Aramnus with a trace of a relieved smile on his lips. His expression held terror, relief and confusion all rolled into one as he tried to come to terms with what had just happened and what had nearly happened to him. Marcus moved to help Philip, who was still groaning on the ground. Philip's knee was a mess. Blood was pooling underneath and it was badly cracked, but the Spartan boys were already dispersing to find medical aid. They may have been thinking of their friends when they sought the Medicus, but already Marcus could see that most of the injured were beyond help, as was the man moaning and bleeding at his last underneath Philip. The Medicus arrived within a few minutes. After checking him over, he gave him a few drops of milk of the poppy, which calmed Philip substantially. As he was being lifted onto a stretcher, Marcus left him and went to find Arrestus and Aramis. Aramis had an arm around Arrestus' shoulder. They had tied the horses outside the tavern and were making their way over to him. Sorry, Marcus, said Arrestus awkwardly. It's been so long since I saw you that I didn't recognize you. Marcus had not really expected them to. Had Arrestus not looked so much like Agamemnon, he doubted he would have recognized him either. He put out his arm and gripped Arrestus' forearm but then pulled him into a hug. It's good to see you, lad, he said. When we left, you were barely up to my hip, and now, look at you. He pushed him back and looked him up and down. Every inch your father. Arrestus blushed shyly and looking at his feet. I wish I'd known that. I can barely remember what he looked like. The scene before them was one of chaos. Why did this happen? My friends have been killed. What are they after? Why are you here? I remember you leaving Mycenae, but nobody ever told me why. One day you were just gone. There were tears in his eyes as he spoke. These were men who had watched him, watched over him as he grew. Marcus himself had taught him proper grip on the shield after his father had left, until he was nine when they had vanished from his life. Marcus dammed the flow of speech. Slow down, he said gently. So many questions. He thought for a minute before he went on. These were Aegis's men, and we believe they were after you. Me? But why? Are you sure? I don't recognize them from around the palace. Nearly all of the house guard are his men now. Orestes's face was a mask of confusion as he looked at the three attackers lying in a pool of blood on the ground. There was blood all over the place. They had killed seven of his companions before they'd been stabbed and now all of their blood was mixed in a big puddle on the ground. The Spartan dead were being removed. After those injured, who had any chance of survival? Nobody seemed to know what to do with the attackers. Marcus suspected they would end up thrown in a ditch somewhere, as there was nobody to see to the, that they had a funeral, and they would certainly not receive the coin for the ferryman. Marcus could almost feel the lost spirits rambling past him as they began their lost wandering the world and a chill ran up his spine. It was Aramis who answered. I remember that one from long ago. He's definitely our Aegis's man. He is probably still keeping a small body of men in his coastal villa. Men who would not be recognized, making them ideal for this sort of action. Marcus nodded agreement. 
As for why we are here, Marcus continued after where Aramis had stopped. We have been working as a mercenary band, guarding merchant trains mostly since we left. It was just luck that had us here in time to help. Luck, Orestes said, shaking his head. Remind me to build an altar to Tai Chi. As for why we left, Marcus said, looked sadly at Aramis, wondering how to answer that one. We did not have a choice, Orestes. More than that, it's not our place to say until we have a chance to talk to your father. <clears throat> Orestes nodded his understanding, though it did not brighten his mood. Speaking of your father, Aramis said, head slightly tilted as if trying to hear better. Rumours are rife, but unconfirmed, that the Trojan War is over. Agamemnon will be returning home. Have you heard anything? At this, Orestes did brighten and was suddenly talking excitedly. Yes, it's all true. He should be home any day now, he told him. We received a note to say he was coming. That's why I'm here. He was now smiling. Mother wanted to have the wedding arranged for his arrival so we can celebrate his return with my marriage to Hermione. Neither Aramnus nor Marcus were smiling now. Both eyes were fixed on the other, faces serious and rigid. So he should be arriving soon? Marcus asked slowly. Maybe even while you're away? Maybe, Orestes said. He's already overdue, judging by the note he sent. I wanted to stay and wait for him, but Mother insisted that the wedding be organised. He could see that neither man was at all interested in the wedding. They seemed to be having a private conversation without opening their mouths, and both looked unhappy and worried by what they saw in the other. What is it? he asked. What's wrong? Again, it was Aramnus who answered. This attack on you by his men, Orestes. Then your father's imminent arrival. And you say the palace is full of Aegis's house guard? Orestes nodded. Yes. He's going to make a move against your father, Orestes. It was Marcus who spoke this time. He was trying to kill you at the same time to tie up any loose ends. No, Orestes said, confused. No, my father will have men with him. Probably most of the army. Aegis is planning something, I'm telling you. Otherwise, he would never have risked making a move on you. He was probably hoping that Agamemnon would get himself killed in Troy. But now that he's coming back, Aegis is out of time and options. Marcus shook his head slowly. All it would take is a quiet knife somewhere. The fear was visible in Orestes now. But there was also anger in his face as he thought about it. We have to get back, he said, looking. I just, the two friends, Orestes Marcus, sadly. Your mother exiled us from the city under pain of death. Orestes' jaw was clenched, and when he spoke, there was iron in his voice. Are you still loyal to Agamemnon? he asked. To the house of Atreus? The two looked at each other and nodded. Always. Then your lord has need of you now, he said firmly. Let me deal with my mother, and if my father has a problem with your return... I will be king of Sparta, and I will find a place for you here. Now will you come with me? His voice was rising as he went on. And others in the street were watching, including the surviving Spartans from his group. Aye, they answered. Then get your horses, and meet me at the south gate in one hour. Orestes caught Pylades' eye and nodded to him. Pylades, find the princess Hermione and tell her what has happened here. With her, her permission, I must leave Electra and 
Chrysothem is in her care until it is safe. The boy could command when he wanted to. The hour passed while they got something to eat and a few supplies. Agreeing that Aramis could follow in the cart, they expected to be riding hard and he would slow them down. When they arrived at the gate, a crowd had gathered, young Spartans, shields and spears in hands, mounted on shaggy but sturdy horses. Marcus looked around. Obviously, Aramnus and Philip were missing from the group, but Kylades and the other nine were with them. Orestes, Pylades and Castor joined them from the side street as they rode towards the waiting group of Spartans. Marcus reined in just before them and asked the group in general, What's all this? Orestes seemed to have no greater knowledge of what was happening than he did. One of the group broke from the others and rode towards him. You're going to kill the man who sent these assassins, he asked. With luck, we are, said Orestes, nodding. The Spartan looked back at the group behind him. They killed our friends, and when you are wed, you'll be our king. We want to ride with you, for vengeance and for our future king. Orestes was stunned, but grinning like a fool. He spoke in a voice pitched to carry. I thank you. Now let's ride. And that is chapter 25 of A Hero's Welcome. Uh, and as you can probably tell, even though I'm writing it, well, that's usually sitting in a room on my own. Uh, so some of the names are still... Uh, takes a little getting your tongue around. Um, so I thank you for sitting with me and listening to my stories. Uh, hopefully you just enjoyed it enough and you might get the books. If not, I hope you enjoyed the time spent.